0: The college football playoff concludes tonight with the undefeated showdown between Michigan and Washington. Out to the KDUS hotline we go. We're now joined in the sports time by Scott Edlin, who covers the Washington football program for dogman.com. And, Scott, good to have you on the show. Washington football. Kind of a mess. Not kind of a mess. It was a mess after going four and eight during the Jimmy Lake, uh, Jimmy Lake fiasco. That was uh, after he tried to succeed Chris Peterson. Uh, then in comes Kalen DeBoer, eleven and two last season, fourteen and zero heading into the night's national championship game. Other than adding Michael Penix Jr., what's been the most impressive thing about DeBoer's seemingly quick Washington uh, ascent to the national championship game here?
1: Well, I. I... I think it has to be the, the culture he's created where, I mean, these guys just don't give up. Back in 1995, the Mariners, when they went on their magical run to the, their first playoff ever, and they had this thing called two outs, so what? <laughs> you know. And for Washington, it's uh, one score game, so what? We're going to win it. And they, they just have this mindset that they're going to win any game that is close, and they're battle-tested. They all know this. And I think it's just um, something that the coaches, a belief that the coaches have instilled in a team that, like you said, was kind of reeling after going four and eight and, and kind of being listless and not knowing the direction of the program. Kaelin DeBoer has come in and really guided them in this direction and, and focused them on the on the ultimate prize, which is a national title.
0: Was adding Michael Penix Jr. via the transfer portal, was that considered to be kind of a foregone conclusion when DeBoer was added?
1: Uh, Actually, no. Um, So Jake Hayner was a very successful quarterback under Kalen DeBoer, and he had actually signed and played two seasons. Um, He never really played. He was a redshirt. and I'm sorry, he just was here one year and then he left right before the start of what it would have been his freshman seat, his redshirt freshman season, because Jake uh, Easton was named the starter, and then he signed with uh, Fresno State, and he was with um, Jeff Tedford, and then uh, Kalen DeBoer was his head coach, and Kalen DeBoer led him to his best seasons as a collegian. Well, he was ready to come back and transfer back to Washington for his senior season, but because of the way things kind of fell into place and Michael Penix was available and Jake Hayner wasn't available, going to be available for spring ball, Michael Penix was, They Washington decided to go with Michael Penix instead. And I think that's proven out, as good as Jake Hayner was, I think it's proven out to be uh, very great for Washington in the long run.
0: No doubt about that. Uh, I promise I will get to the defense at some point here, but the offensive line—I want to start with that. They won the Joe Moore Award as the nation's best offensive line, something that had been Michigan's award in recent years. How did Washington and DeBoer build this offensive line?
1: Well, so
0: um, the, this offensive line, a lot of these
1: guys were already in place. They were just growing and getting, you know, getting more experience. Up through the system and, and, um, you know, the the COVID year basically allowed them to have that extra year of development. A lot of these guys, Troy Fautanu and Roger Rosengarten, two guys who are likely headed to the NFL after this game, both of those guys actually could have one more season. That's the left and right tackle. They could have one more season uh, at the University of Washington, but because of the way they've played and and their opportunities and the fact that both have graduated and everything like that, they're going to move on to the NFL and probably be – Fa'utano looks like a first-round draft choice. Uh, Rosengarten sounds like a second- or third-round draft choice. So, um, you know, Washington's been able to build um, from the classes that uh, Chris Peterson left because Fa'utano and Rosengarten both committed and signed with Chris Peterson. But um, you also had – you know, Jimmy Lake brought in Parker Brailsford, who's the, uh, who's the guy who um, is, has been in the pivot for Washington. Nate Kaleppo, Julius Pulo were two big-time guys in the same class as Roger Rosengarten in the 2020 class. So these guys were built kind of before Washington got here. But the one coach that stuck around from Chris Peterson, Jimmy Lake, and now into Kalen DeBoer's tenure was Scott Huff, the offensive line coach. And so mm-hmm. he's the one who's really built this. Ryan Grubb comes in with a very offensive line-friendly uh, uh, system. They've got a quarterback who understands protections and is kind of like a coach on the field. And so this this offensive line, while they're very talented, you have to play well together as a unit, and that is what Scott Huff and Kalen DeBoer have been able to do with this group.
0: Scott Ecklin, who covers Washington football for dogman.com, currently in the sports zone. All right, Washington and Michigan, they both excelled at player development. So how has Washington become so good at this player development area?
1: Well, like I said, I think a big reason why you're seeing a lot of success is because a lot of these guys are a lot older than a lot of kids would be in normal years because they did have that COVID season. So that has definitely helped. They've gotten another season of eligibility and playing time under under their under their belts that maybe some kids in the same position wouldn't have so that's one thing but a a big thing has just been um identifying the guys who are gonna help your team understanding the culture and and wanting guys to have buy-in and then knowing who who's going to be able to be the the ones that make the most uh difference on your team but also uh which guys are going to have that future and and kind of working with them and getting them reps. One of the things about the the linebacker group, you'll see that Washington's leading tackler has 92 tackles, whereas you go into some other of these, um, you know, programs across the country playing, you know, 12, 13 games, guys, you'll see guys in the 120s to 140 tackle range. Washington's top tackler is their uh, strong safety, Dominic Hampton at 92. And then your linebackers are all in the 80s, uh, 70s and things like that well that's because they rotate so many guys through washington has a five if not six linebacker rotation that they use mostly it's four now but it, all season long it had been about six guys that played at linebacker in the middle of the defensive line you've got um, a four and six man rotation that they use at a lot of times the edges with braylon trice zion you know, those guys all rotate quite a bit as well with with, uh, some of the younger guys that they're trying to develop. So a lot of it has been about getting these guys reps, allowing them to develop, and then uh, putting them in in game situations that aren't just mop-up duty. They're putting them in against the first units of other teams, and that's allowing them to get very significant reps. They do that with the wide receivers, the tight ends, even the running backs. So the offensive line has seen some rotation in. But mostly it's been the same five guys that have played. But, but um, you know, the way they've developed this team has been to get them reps during the game.
0: From afar, which is basically my viewpoint here, it, it kind of seems like the Washington offense in 2023 uh, evolved here some. They went from, you know, you know, basically almost all pass it seemed like they're chucking it down the field a lot to more balance and Dylan Johnson running the ball. Is, is that an accurate assessment on my part?
1: Yeah, well, um, so are you talking early on in the season and as the season progressed, that's kind of how it works? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Okay, so with Dylan Johnson, when he showed up at Washington for spring ball, he had a knee issue that he was dealing with, and he dealt with that all through the summer, all through spring ball. I'm sorry, spring ball and fall camp, and even into the start of the season. He did start. Um, in their first game against Boise State, but then he missed the Tulsa game because he was dinged up. And then he played sparingly in those first few games. Washington lost the guy that was likely going to be their number one tailback during fall camp in Cameron Davis, who blew out his knee in fall camp. Mm-hmm. And so, so Dylan Johnson, when he came in, he was all of a sudden thrust into that starting role, and his body just wasn't ready for it. And so you had Will Nixon, you had Tybo Rogers, a freshman, who, who you'll see uh, later tonight. Um, he'll get a lot of reps for Washington. But those are the guys who were kind of counted on. Richard Newton is a senior who gets a few carries here and there. Um, Sam Adams, if he's healthy, he wasn't healthy for the last game. We'll see if he's healthy for this one. But he's another guy who could see some reps. But Dylan Johnson didn't really get a lot of reps until it was really the Oregon game that he kind of had his breakout game for Washington when he rushed for um, 100 yards on the nose. That was his first 100-yard game. And then after that, He's just really come on. You know, the USC game is the one everybody remembers when he rushed for 252 yards or something like that, and three or four touchdowns, and just has a and on a huge stage against Caleb Williams. But it's really been his consistency all through the season, and then against Oregon in the um, conference title game, he just um, just abused the defense for Oregon. Um, he had the game-winning or game-sealing run where he, he gets that first down on third and eight, third and nine, um, you know, slides down and, and ends the game basically. And 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 then against uh, Texas, he didn't do very much. You know, he had a couple touchdowns, but he had 49 yards on. I want to say it was like 16 carries. So it was a really tough sledding for the Washington defense or uh, running game last week. And I think it's going to be a struggle this week because he, he got dinged up right at the end of that game. Anybody who watched, saw him screaming in pain um, as he's laying there. And, and it almost cost Washington the game because not only was he hurt, one of their key players, but uh, it saved time for Texas. So I think a lot of people are holding their breath and making sure that Dylan's going to play. He did say he's going to play earlier this week. Um, but, you know, his, his ability to run the ball has really made, like you said, Washington be more balanced. They're, instead of being more like 65-35, they're now like 55 45 run to pass. But if Dylan Johnson can't run the ball, then Washington's going to become much more one dimensional. And I think that's exactly what uh, Michigan is hoping for.
0: Along those lines, you know, the, the Washington offensive line, how do you see them matching up against the Washington defensive front, which obviously, you know, kind of had its way against the Alabama offensive line last week? Yeah,
1: uh, it's going to be tough. I mean, Washington was able to handle the Texas, the big interior Texas defensive linemen. They did get some pressure on Michael Penix, but he was able to avoid it. And, um, you know, one thing I was listening to uh, several people talk about it on different shows and throughout the week, and I went back and watched it, and they were right. Michigan isn't a team that is going to have a standout guy um, pass rushing you. You know, um, Mm -hmm. they have. No one, no one has more than six-and-a-half sacks on their team, but what they do is they rush well as a unit. They stay in their lanes. They don't get too far upfield, allowing the quarterback to get out. And Michael Penix does not throw well when he's uncomfortable in the pocket. Most quarterbacks don't. And so um, one of the things that they're going to try and do against Washington, I think, is not necessarily um, send blitzes, although I do think they will do that. But they're just going to make sure they stay in their lanes and and not get pushed out by the Husky offensive line. And I think that's going to that they're going to try and c- contain Michael Penix and keep him in the pocket, but also get some push up that middle, which will really uh, mess with him in the way he wants to do things. And and it also won't let him Washington get those longer developing plays down the field. So what, what Washington is going to have to do is. It isn't just Parker Brailsford, who's 275 pounds, very technical, very good player, but you're not going to put him up against some of these guys, Chris Jenkins, who's 340 pounds, and some of these other big defensive linemen from Michigan. He's going to get help from the tackles. He's going to get help from from the guards. And then Washington really has to be good on those edges. I don't think they have edge guys who can beat Fa'utanu and Rosengarten off the edge. But what's really going to be a key is when they're blocking, can Dylan Johnson, can Tybo Rogers pick up that blitzing linebacker or another guy who might break free? That's really going to be the biggest key.
0: All right, so we get past the uh, offensive uh, line versus the defensive front issue, or uh, you know the, the matchup at least. Uh, Dunze, Polk, and McMillan against the Michigan secondary led by Will Johnson. How do you see that matchup?
1: Boy, you know, look, I have great respect for what Michigan has done. I've watched four Michigan games, plus I went back and watched all of their games on, you know, just the highlights on uh, YouTube and things like that. But I've watched four games live throughout the season and have been really impressed with what I saw from Michigan in the secondary. They're, They're really good at covering guys. They don't make a lot of mistakes. Last week they played a ton of cover three where they dropped a bunch of guys deep and, and Jalen Milrow was really confused. Well, Michael Penix isn't going to be confused, but is he going to have the patience to um, you know, just check, down, check the ball down to like Jack West over the tight end or Devin Culp, another tight end, or maybe one of the running backs or a guy like Jeremy Bernard who's an underneath uh, middle range receiver, whereas Jalen McMillan, Romo Junze, and, and uh, Jalen Polk are all guys who can get deep. Jalen Polk is your guy who can work that middle zone and that's where I think they're gonna make their money at least early on. And if they if they can get some some running running yards um and, and then pull some of those safeties up, that's when you're gonna be able to hit something over the top. Because I think Michigan understands <clears throat> this is and I know people wanna say arguably, to me it's not arguable. As good as Ohio State is, as talented as they are, the best wide receiver group in the United States. In college football in 2023 was the University of Washington. There's no comparison to any other wide receiver group. Top to bottom, they are – Jeremy Bernard, who's a fourth receiver for Washington, would be starting on half of the teams in this country, and he, doesn't, he barely plays at the University of Washington. So, you know, this group is just so special, and they all can make contested catches, and they all can get deep and do different things, and Ryan Grubb is so good at scheming them. I don't see Michigan slowing down or I don't see Michigan stop, stopping Washington's passing game but what I do see if they can make some plays is is them being able to maybe slow it down and not allow Washington to go over the top like they like to do so much so if they can do that again that's really going to put a crimp in what Washington wants to do offensively but so far other than Arizona State other than Stanford and even the Stanford game, they've watched and made a couple long plays. Washington hasn't been handled when they're trying to throw the ball down the field. And that's been why they've won so many games this year.
0: Talking with Scott Eklund, who covers Washington for uh, dogs, uh, Dogman.com. All right, the Washington defense. Uh, how would you describe that unit? And then uh, which the which is the bigger concern for the Washington defense tonight, J.J. McCarthy or Blake Coram?
1: Well, it, if – if washington wins this game it's because jj or i'm sorry if, if if michigan wins this game i believe it's going to be because jj mccarthy wins the game for them i think washington's going to commit almost every resource they have available to stopping blake corum and this that really good michigan running game they cannot allow him to just grind out yards unlike texas and oregon the last two games that washington has played They have offensive coordinators who are former quarterbacks who love to throw the ball, who love to, you know, do all those different things. Well, Jim, Jim uh, Harbaugh is a is a former quarterback, but he has no problem running it 40 times, 50 times in a game. If it's working, he will run the play running plays until you can stop running plays. If if you don't do that, he's just going to run it. I don't, I think he would be happy to have, um, j.j mccarthy throw less than 15 passes if it wins the game for them and i just i just if washington's going to win they're going to win by stopping Blake Corum and making j.j mccarthy beat them and i think washington's defensive backs while they're not you know world beaters by any stretch of the imagination they're i think they're more underrated than people give them credit for i think they can make some plays on the ball jabbar muhammad is an absolute stud He'll be, a, mm. he'll be a you know middle-round draft choice this, this coming season. But he's small. He's a guy who's probably going to be covering Roman Wilson, their big play guy. But, you know, Elijah Jackson is going to be matched up against some guys. Asa Turner, Dominic Hampton, those are guys who need to be in coverage and playing well. They did really well against Texas all the way until that last drive uh, last week. And I think if Washington's going to win, it's got to be um, stopping Blake Corum and making plays on the ball when J.J. McCarthy, who is not a bad passer by any stretch, but he, he is the lesser of the two evils that Washington has to choose from.
0: Okay, Washington's won its last 10 games, decided by 10 points or fewer. How do they win all these close games?
1: Well, you know, I kinda, it kind of goes back to the belief these, these coaches have instilled in them. It doesn't hurt that you have arguably the best quarterback in the country. It doesn't. It doesn't uh, hurt that you have a experienced offensive line who can, you know, grind out games at the end if you need them to, and it doesn't help that it doesn't hurt that Washington's coaches have done a really good job of scheming um, on the at halftime and coming out with adjustments and allowing their defense, which against you know uh, USC, I think they gave up. Uh, 42 points they only gave up 10 points in the second or uh, seven points in the second half against USC and and after after just being shredded by USC in the first half so you know there's so much that goes into it there's so much game planning that Washington has to do and 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 everything like that these coaches have just instilled this belief that hey close game who cares we're experienced we've done this before we'll do it again and that's where Washington is right now. And I think their mentality, these guys are razor sharp when it comes to winning close games. Uh, Michigan ended up beating Alabama in a very close game last week. But that was one of their first close games, other than the Ohio State game. Washington has experienced this for the last, basically, two and a half months of the season. And so Washington is very battle-tested. I think if it comes down to a close game at the end, I think washington that's advantage Washington for sure.
0: Okay. So bottom line, who wins tonight? (laughs) Well, I'm not going
1: against the Huskies because I've gone with them all season. Even when I thought there was a good chance they could lose. So, um, I just really thought I just really, there were several games that I was like, Oh, I'm so used to, I'm so used to Washington being beaten by these good teams that I want to pick these other teams. But, but I went with Washington and I'm going to stick. I'm going to go with the girl, you know, go the one that brought me here, you know, and,
0: um, so i've got
1: washington i, I think i picked it 38 31 uh washington
0: scott we appreciate it good stuff and uh we'll uh look forward to talking to you in the future thanks
1: yeah, sounds great you guys have a good one and uh enjoy tonight it's good. it should be a good matchup
0: yeah hopefully so that's what i'm pulling for as much as anything so scott ecklin excellent stuff there covers uh the covers Washington.